the delight and privilege that we each have this morning is indeed a great one that permits us to assemble in the solitude of this first day of the week, this Lord's Day morning, and to do so with the blessing of God, appreciative of allowing us to do so. And it's our trust, indeed, that we each shall be able to worship God in spirit and in truth and to set our course this week in a way that would be good and proper. Indeed, as we continue to think of those on our sick list, those whose names have been mentioned today and perhaps others as well, certainly our sick list is lengthy and we can not only appreciate the blessing that's ours, but hope soon that their health also will be able to improve and that they'll be able to engage in those things they would so much enjoy. The Christian race. I would invite us to give thought this morning to a lesson entitled The Christian Race under a banner of the study of Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. It is that passage that was just read in our hearing a moment ago, and what a scintillating passage. What an impressive passage. What a passage that charges us with the realization of not only the life that you and I now live pleasingly to God, but also of its destination. It is with that in mind that this morning, let's give some thought to just a few of the things that might be extracted from Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. To do so, might we begin in the following way. The book of Hebrews, as we will remember, is so often a book that lifts us to the absolute zenith, the pinnacle of the nature of life in Christ. It is a book in which we not only see the superiority of Jesus as the perfect high priest compared and contrasted to the best of the high priests of the Old Testament era, but we also find the supremacy of the gospel, the supremacy of not only the nature of Jesus, but of all those promises and rewards that the New Testament brings. It is in light of all of that that here are just a few of the things that we can see seemingly highlighted so well in the book of Hebrews. Christ's atoning work, the blessedness of the reward available through and from Him, the characteristic, as you can notice, of what it is to live a meaningful Christian life built on the faith of the Savior Himself. All of those matters are touched upon in this book. And chapter 12 begins by addressing them under the character of a Christian race. You probably noted that reading a moment ago, and maybe we've each reflected on that so many times. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. As you give thought to that particular passage with me, I would invite us first of all to place it in its context, which as always is a needful thing in regard to Bible study. And so you might notice that the very first word in that verse the very first word in chapter 12 is the word wherefore, and some translations render that therefore. It is in many ways a conclusion built upon and based upon that which just preceded it, that which you and I would call chapter, 12, uh, chapter 11. And so the subject of chapter 11 is, of course, a tremendous presentation of faith. Faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, Hebrews 11.1. 1. 
And from that point onward, we learn in this chapter that in fact there is a very critical and basic set of things that must be understood with respect to faith. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed through the Word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Verse 3 of chapter 11. In other words, faith provides us a worldview unlike that which science can provide, unlike that which many other philosophers and others through the ages have in fact set forth. We notice beginning in that point, verse 4, we can see one after another examples are provided. We begin from as early on there as some of the statements with respect to Abel and Enoch. From there we can appreciate Noah is listed. And in each instance as these individuals were individuals who acted by faith, look at some of the things they accomplished some of the actions in which they engaged. It was Abel who by way of that sacrifice his voice still speaketh. It was in concern with respect to Enoch. He walked in a way pleasing before God. With regard to Noah, by faith he constructed of course that ark and the list proceeds onward from there through Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, and the list proceeds onward. One by one, these individuals who acted by faith, so conducted and lived, not as if the world found what they did reasonable. It wasn't reasonable for Noah to construct the ark, but he did it because God said so. It wasn't, in fact, what the world would call reasonable for Moses to give up all of his Egyptian tutelage and to, in fact, forfeit all the benefits of the palace. But he did it. Verse 25, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. These individuals who acted in faith often did so with regard to the turmoil that it would bring them from the perspective of others. Often they faced difficulties, hardships, and oppression, and yet their faith allowed them to emerge victorious. This morning, as we give thought to some of the lessons in that for us, might we especially look at how the chapter ends. In verses 38 to 40 of Hebrews 11, we find that set of verses that immediately precedes the ones that were read earlier. What, in fact, do these say? Listen to these rather lofty descriptions. Of whom the world was not worthy. Of whom the world wasn't worthy. These great members of the honor roll of faith, these members of chapter 11 who in fact walked by faith and not by sight, 2 Corinthians 5, 7, it says the world wasn't worthy of them. They dwelt in caves and in mountains, and they did so in deserts, verse 38 reminds us. All the while, verses 39 and 40, then go on to challenge us with this realization pointing us to the fact that they did not receive the promise. They did not live to appreciate the grandeur and promise to which they looked so enjoyingly. And yet through it all, the very last statement of chapter number 11 reads, pointing us to this, to this fact. It says very clearly that despite the fact they did not receive it, they were not made perfect because some better thing God provided us. It has often, it seems, to all of us, no doubt, been a rather remarkable and challenging thing. As great as Noah was, 
Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all that other listing, it says they didn't receive the promise. God has given you and me something better than they ever had. That's remarkable, isn't it? We often read with such impressive clarity about Abraham, the father of the faithful, the progenitor, if you please, of those that were called Israelites and Hebrews, and yet we understand you and I have something that Abraham never lived to see. We have the ability to enjoy what he never was able to in his lifetime. As you give thought to what that is, notice again, following that statement, we move innocently into chapter 12. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. All of those characters, all of those individuals indeed did proceed in the running of a race. And now we are admonished and encouraged and in fact exhorted to do the same. What about this Christian race to which the Hebrew writer refers? What's involved in it? What are some things we should keep in mind as we strive to lawfully, properly, and successfully run the Christian race? I would ask that you give some thought with, to me to just a few of these things because running a race is something that we can at least easily imagine. It is stated for us in light of this race, but think about any particular athlete. As an athlete strives to successfully perform in regard to the activity at hand, there are some things that that athlete surely will do if he or she desires to be successful and if they desire their team to be successful. And may I submit to you that as Christians, there are some things we must do if we expect to run a successful Christian race. What are some of these things? And perhaps you'll notice on this slide, some questions are asked of all of us. As these cloud of witnesses are now able to provide us with encouragement, I would ask you to notice, he says, we are compassed about with a cloud of witnesses. These individuals who have just been listed in chapter 12 can serve as absolute evidence and witnesses that, in fact, you and I can successfully run the race because they did it. Now, the race, per se, perhaps wouldn't be called a Christian one, but it was godly. They, in fact, sought to live in a way God would find pleasing, and cannot we do the same? His entire evidence and his entire argument is that, yes, we can. These are some of the assertions that he makes. We notice, first of all, set aside the weights that does so easily beset us. What's meant by that phrase? Where might that lead you and me? What might be some thoughts that you and I can appreciate about those hindrances? Here is, in fact, a more detailed consideration of that point. He starts by saying again in chapter 12, verse 1, Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. Let's just suppose for a moment that we give thought to a, a runner who is in fact ready to engage in the running of, say, a 10,000 meter race. Now there is an Olympic event by that very name, and as a runner would prepare to run that 10,000 meters, that's a little over 6.2 miles, that individual would proceed to make himself ready for that event. There are some things that would be obvious. 
as the weeks and as the months and perhaps as the years led up to that event, that runner would lay aside those matters, those hindrances, those weights that would in fact distract or in fact bring to unproductivity his running in that race. He would probably begin to partake of a very restricted diet, a diet that was ready to build his muscles in the proper way. He perhaps would lift weights, other things like jumping rope to make sure his muscles were at maximum productivity. He certainly wouldn't lie around for a few years and watch television or in fact do nothing in terms of preparation for we well understand that his running in that race would in fact be an embarrassment. He would finish so far back and so far behind, perhaps he would injure himself. Likely he may not even complete the race. All the while, there are some things that have to be set aside so that one can give fullest intent and fullest dedication to the actual completion of that race. With regard to the Christian race, the Hebrew writer said, let us lay aside every weight. There are things that can be distracting to you and me and would in fact cause us not to be able to run a successful race for the cause of Jesus. Those particular weights, those hindrances, and the word is a very appropriate one from Greek. That which hinders then removes the character of likely successful completion. And it also in fact helps us see that these are obstacles. One of the things the Hebrew writer, you see, keeps ever in view is that there are obstacles in life. Noah faced them. Abraham faced them. These others we just listed in chapter 11 faced them. And these first century Christians also faced them. You and I, of course, faced them as well. When we come to facing them, the first thing to keep in mind, set aside the weights which just so easily beset us. In terms of some of those matters... We each can, in fact, be weighted down in one way or another. One of the most severe matters can be attitudes. We have an attitude that maybe the Christian life isn't as serious as the Scripture set it out to be. That I can meander through this life and God will, in fact, accept me. Friend, perhaps there is no more dangerous philosophy than that. There is a straight and narrow way, Matthew 7, 13 and 14, that leads to everlasting life, and few there be that find it. We thus understand the straightness and the narrowness to that way, in fact, reminds us there apparently are a large number of hindrances. These weights. Isn't it interesting to think about that usage of the word weights? We mentioned a moment ago that 10,000 meter race. How successful do you suppose a runner would be if all the runners in that race except this person were running as normal, but this person had five-pound weights strung around his ankles? Do you suppose he would be likely to win? Do you suppose he'd even be likely to finish anywhere near the top group of runners? I don't think so. Those weights would sufficiently, in fact, hamper his efforts, to put that another way, suppose this individual, in fact, had a student's backpack filled with a cement block. Do you suppose he'd be able to finish? Do you suppose he would, in fact, have any hope of finishing near the top? It reminds us, doesn't it, that it really is not wise at all to approach the Christian race encumbered with weights. 
these weights that hamper, that hinder, and that make our race ever more difficult and perhaps even impossible. As you and I analyze our life, what might some of these weights be? We've mentioned attitudes. We mentioned that attitude of failing to take as seriously as we should the race that we're now running. But there are, of course, many other attitudes as well. Suppose we have a negative attitude that seems to look upon the vast things that God has given us, but yet to look upon them as if we're always discontinued. We are admonished in the Bible, aren't we, to appreciate a matter of contentment. In Philippians 4, verse number 11, the inspired apostle was able to say that he was content with such things as he had. Doesn't that remind us that when God has blessed us, our consideration of efforts and amongst His gracious goodness should help us also appreciate a degree of contentment. In 1 Timothy 6, beginning in verse number 6, we notice in that verse and those that follow, Be content with such things as you have, for you brought nothing into this world, and it is certain you can take nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be there with content. It is true, isn't it, that sometimes we seem to work so much for what we really don't need. Maybe we should, in fact, appreciate all that can really serve as a hindrance. It takes our mind to what is material and doesn't leave nearly as much time as it should for what really is spiritual and godly. Beyond that, you'll notice sometimes individuals can be hindrances. Sometimes there are those with whom we choose to associate we make them our best friends or close friends, if you please. It's not as if we are made to associate, but we choose to do so, and their influence is not a good one. They choose to talk ugly and evil about what you and I would see as respectable based on the Bible. They, in fact, seek to tear down the very framework and foundation of life that you and I have been taught from years young. These individuals you see are disrespectful sometimes of the Word of God, of God Himself, of the church, and all things that go with it. They, you see, can be a hindrance. For we strive to, of course, please them, but we can't please them and God at the same time. Didn't Paul say in Galatians 1, verses 10 and 11, If I should be those who please me, and I would not be the servant of Christ. We cannot have it both ways. Quite often then, that means we must make those critical decisions under the light of 1 Corinthians 15 verse 33. Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Besides those associates along that line, you might consider various tendencies, actions and choices in life. Maybe I have been prone to acting and behaving in a certain way. And yet once we understand the character and thoroughness of God's Word, that has to change because God doesn't approve that. Do I have the mental toughness and the determination to make that change? All of those are valid questions for each of us, but the point is just as surely as a runner invests hours, invests weeks, invests perhaps even years in preparation for a race, if you and I are serious about the Christian race, it's time to make some preparation. It's time to start setting some things aside. It's time to start directing attention to where it ought to be placed and to get serious. I'm thankful that we have the opportunity to appreciate the Pippin congregation where such seriousness is seen. 
But maybe in each of our lives, there's time for reconsideration of certain things. The Hebrew writer said, let us lay aside every weight, not some of them, not most of them, not the majority of them. He said, lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. You'll notice that as one sets aside those matters, that all points us to this issue of preparation, doesn't it? In Matthew 25, beginning in the opening verse, the Lord taught a remarkable parable concerning the issue of preparation, didn't He? In which He spoke of five wise virgins and five foolish virgins, and just as surely as the five wise ones had brought not only oil for the present, but also oil, just in case the bridegroom tarried. It is to be noted in contrast that the foolish ones only brought oil for the present. They didn't bring any oil to tarry if the bridegroom delayed. And sure enough, the bridegroom tarried. The oil of the foolish ones ran out. They no longer had any. And so when the bridegroom came, they were without. Now we notice they did try to go buy some, obtain some, acquire some, and yet the bridegroom came while they were away. We might notice preparation is essential for us as Christians, isn't it? To make always that ready enlightenment that there is a destination here. Perhaps this is the time to put that plainly in view. We know that those who run in a race have a clear destination in mind. It's the finish line. It's the finish line. That's what all the years of work is for, to cross that finish line first, or at least as best as I can. If that finish line isn't crossed, all the efforts and all the other matters have not led to the destination desired. In the Christian life, what's the destination? Is it to live a hundred years? Is it to live with a satisfactory enough money in this life? Is it to own enough cars to make one happy? Is the destination to in fact work until age 65 and then retire? And of course we each know the answer to all of those questions is no. Our hope for Colossians 1 verse 5 is laid up in heaven. That's the destination, and may we not say, if we miss that, we've missed it all. We've missed everything. All of those times spent did in the fleshly matter of our life did not redound into the one place that we wished it to be, heaven. Returning then to the matter of a race, that person who thus enters that race and signs his name that I'm going to participate in it certainly would make preparation laying aside all the hindrances to prepare, laying aside all the things that would be distractions to him. But then there's one other thing to be noted. He does run. He runs. That may seem a self-evident thing, but let's lay some focus upon that as well. The text again said, "...lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run." In other words, it's time to join the fray, if you please. It may be that this morning there's one or more in this audience that's never begun the race. Maybe you've attended worship services. You've been here present for worship or Bible study for months, even years, but at this point you've never yet begun to run. Why do you delay? Because let's face it, no matter how many years of preparation, if you never enter the race, you will never finish and you'll never receive the crown. You'll never receive the prize. 
That may seem a simple statement to make, but it's true, isn't it? And it is also that way in the Christian race. If you don't ever start the race, you can never possibly finish it. And you can never be in line then for the grandeur and glory of those recipients of the prize. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us. As you give thought to run, may we now think back to the case of that 10,000 meter race again. We have all the runners on the starting block. The signal is given and they begin to run and they begin to race. All those efforts of preparation, all that time spent making ready are now being put into practice. One can't forget what one has learned or the practice that one has in, engaged in. And isn't it that way in a way with regard to the Christian life? We now run. We do so, of course, carefully. We obviously know that a runner who's running in that race doesn't choose to detour for a mile or two and then come back. For you know that would be destructive with regard to finishing it in the way you want. So he stays on course. Do you and I stay on course for the Christian life? There is a course that the God of heaven has provided for us to follow and in dutifulness and in responsibility, surely we would choose to follow it. Are we doing so or are we straying off the path? Maybe one who has become a Christian has erred. Sometimes we use that term. For one who has begun to travel along a different pathway, again, let it be noted that just as surely as there's a path that the runners must follow, if they veer off the path and yet think they're going to cross the finish line, that obviously won't happen, for they won't be anywhere near the finish line. It's also that way with regard to the Christian life. If we err off the path, we begin to walk in faithlessness. We begin to act and behave and speak and do things that God condemns. We've erred from the faith. And we, of course, are in that very scene of finding ourselves lacking in terms of the blessing of God. And we surely will not be found faithful on that day of judgment. Isn't it interesting that Jesus, as He made reference to things like this, on one occasion He said in Matthew 7, 21-23, I never knew you. That clearly has reference to those, you see, who had never come under the banner and character of serving God in truth. For he says, I never knew you. It's not as if he'd known them at one time and then came not to know them anymore. But later, Jesus, with regard to that same set of circumstances in Luke's gospel account, he said, I know you not. It's as if present tense he didn't know them, but there had been a former time when he had. Friend, you see, if one errs from the faith, though known by God and known by the Savior at one time, he now has his name erased from the Lamb's book of life, Revelation 3, verses 1 to 5. And when that erasure is made, the Lord will now say on that day of judgment, I know you not. Notice again back to the race. To run properly on course with determination is that which the inspired writer is discussing. For you'll notice, he says, Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience. That prepositional phrase, with patience, the Greek word actually means endurance. Isn't that ever so true in regard to a runner? 
when that person sets out on a 6.2 mile run, 10,000 meters, oh, the person may start out well, but if he has to quit after four miles, he'll never cross the finish line. It takes endurance. It takes steadfastness. It takes determination and sufficient preparation so that one is able to complete the race that is set before him. Isn't it not that way with respect to the Christian life too? Our destination, you see, is heaven. To be faithful for a couple of years after baptism and then to slide into unfaithfulness, what does that accomplish? How near to the, to the goal does that bring us? We need to be faithful until death, Revelation 2.10. We need to be faithful and endure unto the end, under the language of Matthew 10.22. As you give thought then to some of these details about running, I would ask you to notice that in the race that those runners are called upon to run, especially marathons and longer distance runs, those aren't completely flat. There are small inclines and there are declines. It's going to be that way in the Christian life too. There are going to be times when challenges come our way. Circumstances are going to make things hard. Your faith and mine will be challenged. Are we up to the challenge? When a runner, after about five miles, gets to an incline, at that point he may be breathing hard and things have gotten difficult on his body. Under his training and under the dedication, he'll keep on going, realizing the training has prepared him, and though his mind may say, you need to quit this, your muscles are now aching and it hurts. You're only one mile from the finish line. Push onward. Move ahead. You and I in the Christian life must do that too. When those times get rough, realize it. keep on running because there's a goal ahead of you and it's worth it. No matter what it requires here to set aside those weights, it's worth it. No matter the nature associated with the run itself, it's worth it. But as one gives thought to all of these things, perhaps the Hebrew writer takes us one more place. For you see this run that we're discussing pertinently helps us notice verse number 2 of the same chapter. There's one other thing it seems that these runners do. As you come to verse 2 it says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. These runners remain focused. Perhaps you've watched them on television, those marathon runners or others. When they are running, they are incredibly focused, it seems, not only on the goal ahead, but on the maintenance of the run itself. For if you become distracted, then that's when other matters of distraction can take over and cause you to perform at not only less than your capability, but may cost you ultimately the race itself. Looking unto Jesus, that is the Hebrew writer's way of helping you and I see the need for focusing on the one. The one who not only has already completed the race, but who is waiting at the finish line to extend his arms and say, Well done! You have run well! Accept the reward now that I'm giving to you. How focused are we in our run? You see, if we're dis defocused, distracted, looking here and yon, seeking various and sundry other places for our encouragement, it is not going to bode well for a successful completion.
But if we look to Jesus, who is described as both author and finisher, notice He's the one that set the rules for the race, and He's also the one who has completed it. No wonder He is there to provide aid, Hebrews 2.18, for all of us in our time of need. No wonder He is said to be the one in Hebrews 6, same book, verses 19 and 20, who is the forerunner of our faith. Not only is He the one, Revelation 14.4, who is said to be located at a place that is described like this, Follow the Lamb whithersoever He goeth. If you and I then follow the Lamb whithersoever He goeth, He's now in heaven, so if we follow Him, we'll end up there too. May I suggest that as we look to Jesus, all of this points us back to another New Testament writer and his description of a race. It was the Apostle Paul, wasn't it, in 1 Corinthians 9, verses 24 to 27. Know ye not that ye which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize? A good question is immediately asked. There are many runners who begin a race, but one receives the prize. But Paul goes on to say, So run that you may obtain. As Paul makes a comparison to the Christian life, he says, So run that you may obtain. We cannot obtain the crown unless we run the Christian race. But then he goes on in the very next verse, verse 25, to point out one of the things that we've noted earlier in the lesson this morning. Every man that strives for the mastery is temperate in all things. That word temperate means self-controlled. We noticed earlier the need to lay aside every weight. Question, are you and I temperate? Do we control thoughts, language, destinations, and places? Do we keep ourselves under control so that we don't pursue tangents and matters that in fact are weights to the Christian race? We must be temperate. But notice this distinction. Paul next says, closing part of verse 25, of 1 Corinthians 9, they do so that they may receive a corruptible crown. We do so for an incorruptible one. That's a powerful question, isn't it? These runners who train for years to run in a marathon or a 10,000 meter race, all the while they do that and all they get out of it is something that's corruptible. It's not eternal. It's only good for a little while, maybe a plaque on a wall or a trophy. Paul says, you and I run a Christian race, and the reward is an incorruptible one, something that will never tarnish, never fade, never be removed from that which the greatness and majesty God places within it. It's incorruptible. Listen to Paul then say, what was his response to this fact? I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, Yet I run, not as one that beateth the air. Paul said, I take this race seriously. I don't run with uncertainty. I don't run as if the destination's unknown. I don't run as if there are various and sundry matters unclear to me. I run with certainty. And I do so with the appreciation I'm not just beating the air. It's not just a trivial, arbitrary exercise to take up some time in life. This is serious business. And finally, the, verse, the chapter ends in verse 27 where Paul says, I buffet my body so that lest while I myself have preached to others, I myself have become a castaway. 
Paul knew the straightness and seriousness of that Christian race, didn't he? And he said, I buffet my body. I keep it under subjection. I keep it, in fact, within the course that God has laid out for this Christian race. When you think about a race, there are, in fact, many comparisons that we've seen to the Christian life this morning. As we come near the close of the lesson, in fact, might we look at some of them and conclude in the, in the following way. You and I are running a race. As Christians, how well are we running it? Have we made the proper preparation? And are we dutiful in terms of following the course that God has set out? If so, praise be unto God, and may the glory all be to Him. But may we always remain fixed and focused upon Jesus and the realization of the destiny, that goal of heaven itself. But the question, of course, that comes to us this morning Suppose there's one or more in this audience that is not running dutifully. Maybe you've never even begun the race. Maybe you have begun it, but at this point you simply are not running it in the way that would be pleasing to God. Under the banner of what we've seen this morning, maybe weights are weighing you down. Maybe there are hindrances to your way, and to this point you haven't set them aside. It's time to do that today. There will never be a better day than the 27th day of February, 2011. In fact, to bring you back to where God would want you to be. In terms of what God would require of you, if you've never begun the race, these things are what you must do to enter yourself in the starter's block. You must believe Jesus to be the Son of God. You must, in fact, repent of the sins in your life. You must confess the name of Jesus as the Son of God, and you must be baptized for the remission of sins. Upon so doing, you will then be a runner in the race. Next, live faithfully till death. Run faithfully with determination, with steadfastness. In 1 Corinthians 15, 58, we are in fact reminded about the need for steadfastness. Unmovable, steadfast, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. If you have become or begun to run that Christian race, maybe two years ago, maybe ten years ago, maybe fifty years ago, but at this point, you simply are not still fixed on the destination. You've wandered off on a tangent. You've proceeded to follow other things. Come back to that first love this very day. If we could help you to, again, be a powerful and amazing runner in the, in the only race that ultimately matters, the Christian race, why not come forward today and let us assist you in whatever way that we need to do that while together we stand and while we sing.